You already know what time it is. Welcome back in to the NFL with AJL, episode 43. We are locked and loaded on a Tuesday night. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here, tapped in with me on the show. Y'all go ahead and get in the chat, get in the comments, light it up tonight. Let's get to 600 subs on the YouTube channel. Hope everyone's had a blessed week. You had a great weekend. Week three of the NFL is officially in the books. Had an interesting college football game with Colorado. You already know we're going to get to the lineup here in just a moment. But y'all please make sure to like the stream. Subscribe on YouTube. Like the stream wherever you're watching the show. Share the show wherever you might be watching it at. Go ahead and get at me at the NFL with AJL on all social media platforms and podcast platforms as well. As you know, the QR code there on the screen is the one-stop shop for every bit of the NFL with AJL content, social media, and podcasts. Y'all go ahead and get in the chat. I want to hear what you guys are thinking about week three of the NFL as we got a packed episode 43. Colorado gets humbled by Oregon in a Pac-12 showdown. The Dolphins have a historic day, dropping 70 points on the Broncos. The Cowboys get upset by the Arizona Cardinals. Bengals get their first win on Monday Night Football in another doubleheader. Week four power rankings going into the NFL and so much more to get into. We're going to go right off the top here as Colorado absolutely gets the doors blasted off of them by Oregon. 42-6. This wasn't even a football game that I honestly watched. I was a little late to the party, and then before I knew it, it was 21-0. At one point in this game, Colorado literally had 1.1 yards per play, and Oregon was absolutely outgaining them in every possible facet. We know this was an absolute domination by the Oregon Ducks over the Colorado Buffaloes as Deion Sanders, Shador, all of the Buffs go down for their first game of the season. And there's really levels for this, right? When you rebuild a college football team. And when you look at how this game played out, it is surprising to see a 42 to six blowout of the Colorado Buffaloes, considering how they've been tested. They've been able to step up in big moments for three straight weeks, but there's literally levels to rebuilding a college football team. You can't just come in immediately, you know, plug in some players, this, that, and the third, and then think that you're going to be able to run off with it in your first Big matchup. What's up, Ed? NFC South is so weak. Yes, it is. Dolphins won't last. Who will get hurt again? Dolphins will fade away. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to give some good energy here, man. I know your Giants aren't looking too fantastic there, but don't throw the hate on the uh, on the Miami Dolphins. I'm loving what two is doing. We're going to get into that a little later in the show. You say so many bad teams in the NFL. Realistically, I feel like there's only a few actual bad teams that it's like, hey, you roll them out there like Chicago Bears. They're going to get rolled over, right? But look at the Cardinals. Look at the Texans. Look at the Colts. Look at the Commanders outside of the blowout, like actually being competitive football teams and staying in these games, you know, somewhat. But just wanted to address some of those comments there. When you look at Colorado getting the doors blasted off by Oregon 42-6, to there is literally levels to rebuilding a college football team, and this is one of them. Let's not forget, these were all new players, all new transfers, the most transfers in the portal that Colorado saw coming in. So this was going to be an experience that they had to witness together to continue to have the uh, the uniformity and really the um, the solidarity of the football team together. But here, here, here's the two big takeaways, right? Colorado has no trenches. If you don't have trenches in high school football, college football, the NFL, you will not establish a run game. You will not establish pass protection for your quarterback. And if you cannot get to the other quarterback as well, that's not going to fare well for you. And that is exactly what happened in this game. You look at Colorado on the year, 23 sacks given up in four games is not winning football. Colorado has seven sacks on their opponents this year. Shador was sacked seven times just in this game. Bo Nix virtually untouched, literally. And let's just keep it real for a second also. 
Pac-12 football is actually this good, like USC, Oregon, especially those two this year, Utah with their defense, Washington with Michael Penix Jr. And, you know, we're really all just so obsessed with the SEC and the ACC because they load the NFL, right? They put all the talent out there. But that is literally why the Pac-12 dispersed as such here recently. Now we've got the Tupac, the Pac-2, whatever you guys want to call it. We see these teams now going into the bigger conferences, but the Pac-12 has had talent. They've had people they put in the league every year, and this was a showing of, hey, we've still got other teams in here outside of the hype of Colorado. The Buffs were literally scoreless for 57 minutes in this football game. They even had their extra point blocked, right? Like, that is literally adding insult to injury. We'll let you score the touchdown, but you're not even getting seven. You'll walk out of here with two field goals as far as I'm concerned. That's not a touchdown in my book if you don't put seven on the board. And at one point, literally, they were averaging 1.1 yards per play with 13 total yards and negative seven rushing yards in this game. Now, I will give credit to Colorado. I guess one takeaway you can look at from them here as a team, they're 14 for 14 in the red zone this year with nine of those being touchdowns. But when you look at this game, obviously they struggle to get in the end zone. Shador has literally been hassled all season and it finally broke really big in this one with the exposure of no trenches and and honestly played out the way it did. 12 penalties in the game for Colorado, so they're very undisciplined at this moment. And again, when you cannot establish it in the trenches, and I feel like Dion knew this, right? Like he said, we're literally about seven to eight dogs away from having this team complete. We hear about Warren Sapp wanting to coach for Colorado. Go ahead and get him in. Maybe try to get him in this year. You talk about paperwork next year. Nah, bring him in now. We need that legendary leadership. We know what Warren Sapp was on an NFL field. We know that Colorado's going to get the recruiting class up. They damn sure better look for some offensive and defensive linemen because their trenches are getting absolutely exposed. And let's just also kind of look at the level of talent that Dion and Shador, really the two stars of this team. Yes, there's respect for Travis Hunter. Yes, we know he didn't play. There's Mikey Harrison. There's Dylan Edwards. There's Shiloh Sanders. But when you look at where Dion and Shador specifically had success before they came here, it was at the HBCU level. And this is not a knock on HBCU talent at all, but it is not at the level of the Pac-12. And I know it's not very highly scouted. It's not very widely covered. And they definitely deserve more exposure with the HBCU talent. But the Pac-12 is going to reign supreme over HBCU talent in a lot of cases. Shador and Dion, as well as the entire Colorado roster, actually experienced Pac-12 football for the first time. And that was their first game in which they were playing Pac-12 football. And why do you guys think Bo Nix has got so much attention right now? We remember Bo Nix, the two, three, four years over at Auburn that he transfers out, obviously goes to Oregon, has a major season last year, is going to enter the NFL draft this year, and he's one of the best prospects. He got so much attention because he left the SEC, which is an absolute gauntlet, literally the best talent in the country. They continue to put people in the NFL, and he came to the Pac-12, which meant a lower level of competition, which meant realistically more exposure for Bo Nix. That's basically what happened here with Colorado walking into this football game. Dion's crew getting ransacked by an actual Pac-12 football team, which again, Colorado did not play a single Pac-12 game until they stepped into this one. Bo Nix graduating, I guess, to the Pac-12 and getting more exposure is the same way that Dion in Colorado just got welcomed to the Pac-12. This is the level of talent, and USC is up next. That is going to be a major, major football game that everybody's going to have their eyes on, right? But you look at you know Colorado, the first three games, 41.3 points. This game, they score six against number 10, Oregon, plus 11 in the point differential, negative 36 in this game to Oregon, 480 yards of offense in the first three games, 194 against Oregon. 
absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. 418 passing yards on the regular, 159 versus Oregon. And Shador Sanders, I mean, he was ranked top 10 nationally with 1,251 yards passing, 10 touchdowns. But you saw Oregon came through variety of pressures, coverages. They really confused the Colorado O-line, forced uh, Shador Sanders into making some decisions. Now, he didn't turn the football over. Colorado did not turn the football over in this game. But you saw that, again, when Shador is getting hassled, when you do not have trench play, you will not be a good football team. If you can establish trench play with an average roster, it will more than likely trump the talent that is outside those trenches. Because, again, we know that the fight is won and lost in the trenches in the NFL. Shador was sacked seven times, pressured on numerous other times, and really just had no sense of really uniformity that he could get going with things on the day with this offense, literally credited with negative 34 yards rushing because of all the sacks. Shador Sanders did not complete a pass of more than 21 yards, and he finished with 159 yards passing, like I mentioned, on 4.8 yards per attempt. So again, when you look at this football game, Colorado has no trenches, and they've showed us that all year. They got to the to- they've got to quarterback seven total times in the last 12 quarters of football they played before this game. Shador was sacked seven times in this game. Shador has been sacked 23 times in four games. That's a sack and a half a quarter if you don't know how to do math. Six sacks a football game that Shador Sanders is having to endure. And when you play your first bigger division, higher level of talent competition game, sometimes you're going to get welcomed. And we hear Dion ride in the presser. Oh, no, we didn't need this. That's like saying you needed a car wreck. That's just stupid. Clearly, we know Dion's a little pissed, right? He said it was a good old-fashioned butt-kicking, butt-whooping. No, Travis Hunter would not have accounted for 36 points, but Dion's not taking it easy. Like, we were horrible. You don't burn the tape. You go home and watch this, and you literally, quote, get your butt up and let's go. We got a flight to catch. We got USC next week. We got the Heisman winner. We got the number one overall pick next week. There's no time to slouch. There's no time to get upset about it. So definitely... I guess we could say a humbling moment for Colorado. I don't think they were being cocky. I just think they were being very confident. A lot of people were used to hating on them. Boom, here they were in the spotlight. Everybody thinks it's just Prime and Shador. And realistically, this is a sound football team. They just got to get their dogs in the trenches. And uh, realistically, this, this football team can go a long way. Now, the Cardinals upset the Cowboys 28 to 16. Cowboys on the road, obviously Arizona at home. And look, Arizona was an 11-point home underdog entering this week three winless following a collapse against the New York Giants in which they blew a 21-point second-half lead to lose 31-28 to to the Giants. We all remember how we were like, whoa, what's happening with the Giants? Why are they playing like this against the Cardinals? Cardinals kind of sneaking competitive. Giants maybe not as good as we thought. Dallas entered, <laughs> y'all listen to this, how much of how much Dallas should not have lost this football game, besides it just being the Cardinals. Dallas entered week three, leading the NFL in points scored at 70, points allowed at 10, point differential at plus 60, no giveaways. They had not turned the ball over all year. Seven takeaways. They lead the NFL in all this. Turnover margin, plus seven. Total yards per game allowed at 193. Yards per play at 3.5. Red zone touchdown percentage allowed 0%. No one had scored a touchdown on them in the red zone. 10 sacks tied with the Washington Commanders for the league lead. 63.6% QB pressure rate and a passer rating of 34 allowed. The loss is the Cowboys' largest upset since falling 39-31 to to the Lions as 13-point favorites in Week 17 of the 06 season. So this was a legendary loss for the Cowboys, right? They were not supposed to lose this game, being the most dominant team in most of the categories, not allowing touchdowns, holding 
total yards per game. And Joshua Dobbs and James Conner and Hollywood Brown and Jonathan Gannon get their first win collectively as a group. And let's just call it what it is, right? Can we now see that this Dallas Cowboys offense is not all that? They are one for five this year in the red zone. Excuse me. They were one for five in the red zone in this game. You had the game ending interception, turnover on downs, two field goals, and a screen pass touchdown when you look at how their drives played out in the red zone against the Cardinals. And here's been the excuses for, for, for the Cowboys, right? Oh, it was pouring against the Giants. It was absolutely raining. They still blew them out 40 to nothing. The Jets defense was elite. Well, you still won 30 to 10. So what's the excuse now? Because we saw over the first couple of weeks, if the Cowboys could not score on defense, pick six, scoop and score, special team score, special teams great play, or just be elite. And Micah Parsons playing at a crazy high level. Let's not forget that they just lost Trevon Diggs. If the defense couldn't be elite every game, we were kind of sitting here asking the question, and some people were getting pissed when I was like, hey, the Cowboys offense is being covered up by their defense. This showed it right here. We said that the Cowboys might not win if the defense didn't come through. They are now 6 for 15 in terms of converting red zone drives into touchdowns after three weeks. They were 2 for 6 last week. They were 1 for 5 this week. Obviously, they were 3 for 4 against the New York Giants when they blew them out 40 to nothing on the Monday night football game. But the Cowboys offense, it got exposed in this game. Their defense, it, it, it bent. Yes, it broke. And of course, you can run in and say that that was the Trevon Diggs absence, right? Maybe so. But you got beat pretty fair and square, pretty outplayed, pretty outcoached. And you only scored, again, on a screen pass touchdown and two field goals. You are 6 for 15 on the year in converting red zone drives into touchdown. Dallas even shut out Arizona in the entire third quarter. Great halftime adjustments, right? They got two field goals off that. Now, I will give some credit to Dak Prescott. He had a nice third down scramble. I thought it was real gutsy, real beautiful to be able to do that. Had some nice throws to CeeDee Lamb, of course, Michael Gallup on the sideline. And with the two interceptions from Dak, I really thought that Tony Pollard was open to the right on that third and fourth with about three minutes to go in the game. He had been making plays, you know, being elusive, just big, not, not big chunk yardage, but he was making plays for the Cowboys in this game. To me, you just throw it to him in space and let him make a play. You know, same with the game-ending interception. Like, you trust Tony Pollard in space, literally, play flipped, throw it to your left, and you let him make a play, not throw it into triple coverage for a game-ending interception. You even had Micah Parsons sounding off in this game, talking about, come on, run at us after they beat the Jets, which I don't think that's really a, a great thing to brag about, but so be it. Okay, Aaron Rodgers, list Jets, like, do we really trust this team? Zach Wilson, but yeah, Micah Parsons, go ahead and call for it. Tell these tell these people to come at you, right? Told teams to literally run at him, run at the Cowboys. Jonathan Gannon said, okay, <laughs> that's fine. I'll run for 222 rushing yards. You guys can give up 99 yards on two big carries from us. You can give up two touchdowns on the road, uh, excuse me, two touchdowns on the ground. The 180 rushing yards in the first half, the Cowboys allowed were the most allowed by any team in the first half this season, obviously, before I think the Broncos took off and or excuse me, before the, um, well, yes, before the Broncos allowed it to the Dolphins who just dropped 70 this past weekend. But, you know, I really think after their awful, excuse me, af after the Broncos offer, uh, Broncos awful outing. And then the Cowboys, um, the, the most the Cowboys have allowed in a first half since at least 1991, talking about the rush yards there. Dallas's first half run defense was the worst since the Lions, 240 rushing yards to the Panthers in the first half of a 37-23 loss. In week 16 last season, again, I think the Broncos did supersede that by getting 70 dropped on them. The Cowboys' 222 rushing yards allowed in total was their second most surrendered in a game under Dan Quinn, who came over to Dallas in 2020.
21. But Dak was sacked twice in this game, pressured on damn near 30% of his dropbacks, 29% to be exact. Um, and they were missing three starting offensive linemen in this game. So I guess you do have to give some of that slack to the Cowboys, right? They were like, you know, t- talking a lot of mess coming in, a lot of big dominance. But hey, you're a down a star corner and you are also down three linemen for you in this football game. But again, you go one for five in the red zone with two field goals, turnover on downs, that interception, 13 penalty, excuse me, 13 penalties in this game for 107 yards is, is not how you win in the NFL. It is very hard to win in this league. And again, you could feel Trevon Diggs' absence in this game. The Cowboys 100% needed him. Their run defense got absolutely gashed. Rondell Moore had a big play. Josh Dobbs kind of took the tone early, right? Going with the RPO, kind of putting the Cowboys back on their heels. It feels like they were kind of catching up constantly. After that happened, James Conner had some nice plays. Um, And then you even have Josh Dobbs with a nice throw to Hollywood Brown on the sideline. I mean, the low throw to Hollywood also in the end zone for the touchdown to seal the game. And you got Josh Dobbs over here being like, Y'all remember me and Alvin Kamara from Tennessee? Y'all remember when we went out and beat Georgia? Y'all remember when we had people cheering for us like crazy in the gray and orange when we brought out those uniforms? Yeah, Alvin Kamara's big time at Tennessee after he left Alabama. Josh Dobbs really helped him in that spotlight. Josh Dobbs was his quarterback. Josh Dobbs also had a big throw to Michael Wilson in the game as well. Got to give a shout out to Matt Prater. Always have to give a shout out to the special teams guys out there for the 62-yarder in this game. Arizona, credit to them too. They dropped 28 points. They score on six of their eight actual drives in this football game. And yeah, the Cowboys defense just straight up, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of folded in this one a little bit. And we had been saying, hey, if that defense can't perform, what is that offense going to do? Because again, I just told you there's 15 on the year. Six for 15 on the year. Fell in point score. Points allowed. You've never turned the ball over. You're leading the league in takeaways, in the turnover margin, yards per play, yards per game. You've not allowed a touchdown in the red zone. That shows you that the NFL is literally in any given Sunday league. Cowboys fans, get in the chat if you're still here with me. I don't mean to upset you so much as you don't lose to the worst team in the NFL. I think that's the Bears realistic. I think the Bears are solely in possession of the worst team in the NFL status right now. But Cardinals have been a little sneaky competitive, and I think they're going to get on a lot of people's radars after this game against the Cowboys. Now, the Bengals get their first one of the season over the Rams, 19-16 to on Monday Night Football. Some people are saying this is a great Bengals team win. I kind of agree with that. I'd also like to argue the case of the L.A. Rams really had every chance to win this football game, and a little bit of questionable decisions here by Sean McVay kind of, kind of put this one out of reach. But, you know, speaking of the Bengals and the real takeaways that they had, from this football game in their first win again, 19-16 to on Monday Night Football against the L.A. Rams, who have also been another sneaky competitive team this year as well. You got Trey Hendrickson, the Bengals defensive line, was really on Matthew Stafford's ass all night. Six total sacks, 10 QB hits, defense forced a couple interceptions. One of those I'm not going to necessarily put on Stafford, but you talk about a Lou Anarumo masterclass. I mean, really coming in with this team for the Bengals, plugging in as that defensive coordinator, um, held Puka Nakua, a.k.a. Cooper Cup 2.0, it felt like, with the way he was being through the first two weeks of the season. Five catches on seven targets, 72 yards, much better than the multiple catches, record catches through the first two uh, games, you know, over 100 yards in his first two games, much lower than the previous weeks. Coming into week three, the Rams were leading the NFL in red zone touchdown rate at 83.3% and on third down at 58.1%. And Luana Rumo crafted a defense on Monday Night Football 
to be able to hold that Rams team to 16 points. And Dax Hill had a nice game, right? You see him flying around. They draft Dax Hill in lieu of Jesse Bates, who goes to the Atlanta Falcons, still kind of has that best safety in the league prowess. But Dax Hill is filling in nice. He had a nice, um, you know, he had a nice sack getting to the quarterback in this game. And ultimately, I think played really well when he was called upon. Joe Mixon had some big carries all night, too. They really rode his energy. I know you might look at the stats and just say, hey, 19 carries, 65 yards and a touchdown. But when they really needed him on key plays and uh, key, key plays and key drives, he was busting up the middle, scoring touchdowns, obviously, when it was 6-6 to in the football game, converting drives for them, really um, just being very reliable at certain points in this football game for the Bengals. But you still see Joe Burrow kind of struggling, obviously, throwing the football down the field in this game. He's got to get healthy. He's dropping back 49 times in this football game, something that's a little a little questionable for me. I'm kind of looking at Zach Taylor like, what's going on here? But you also hear Joe Burrow on, um, I think, in the postgame interview saying like, hey, I was worried about 0-3. So I guess when you have a guy that's taking you to back-to-back AFC title games and turn your franchise around as a head coach, you're like, all right, boss, whatever you want. Joe Burrow, 26 for 49, an interception, 259 yards. And again, why is he passing 49 times not being 100%? Why is he passing 31 times in the first half not being 100%? This is the third straight game with no first-half touchdown, and it shows you that Joe Burrow is a major piece in this offense. Not that that's something we didn't know, But Joe Burrow is a very, very valuable asset to this offense. And when he's not 100%, they clearly look different. Jamar Chase finally came alive in this game. 12 catches, which is a career high. Uh, 15 targets in this game. 141 yards after coming in with 10 catches and 70 yards on the whole year through the first two games. So they clearly get him implemented here. Get him working well. Now, I think, you know, if, if McPherson doesn't doink this kick in, it's a different football game. Now, he did come in clutch in some big moments for the Bengals, not going to take that away from him. And they were kind of, you know, this was kind of a game down to the onside kick recovery. But when you look at the Rams side of the ball, I got to give credit to Sean McVay, but also kind of wonder like, well, what the hell are you doing here? I think he really could have won this football game because this really might be the toughest one and two team in the NFL right now. I mean, let's just be real. You got Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua holding this Bengals offense to 19 points with, yes, I get it, not a healthy Joe Burrow. Totally understand that. Jamar Chase still has a game. Joe Mixon's still able to have a decent game. But when you lose Alaric Jackson and Joe Noteboom, and you still only lose by three, I mean, they needed to chip Trey Hendrickson at the line. Zach Thomas is getting eight up, and and Sean McVay's just not really bringing help for his guys. So I kind of got to also give some credit to Zach Taylor because I'm asking the question of, did Sean McVay get outcoached? I mean, he loves Kyron Williams. He traded Cam Akers. It kind of seems like he traded Cam Akers because of how much he loves Kyron Williams, right? But he didn't use him but 10 times in this football game against the worst rushing defense through the NFL in the NFL through two weeks. Cincinnati Bengals had the worst rush defense through two weeks in the NFL coming into this game against the Bengals, specifically on the two-yard line of the opening drive. That's points right there. That's a swing right there that the Rams could have had in this game. And and they kind of got some bad breaks, right? I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, they could have won if this, this, and X, Y, and Z, and A, B, and C happened. Right, and if I, if I would have scratched the right winning lottery ticket, I'd be a billionaire. But, you know, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, okay? So some bad breaks here for the Rams. You know, it kind of started with Tutu Atwell barely stepping out of bounds on that 22-yard end around. I didn't think he stepped out of bounds. I thought he was in for the touchdown, but they called it back. That's very tough to see there. The Rams also had a touchdown called back when the Bengals got a late timeout call into the official. Sean McVay didn't look happy about that one. I actually saw that one. Um, I mean, I, I watched the whole game, obviously, but like seeing that happen live, I was like, damn, 
Like, I would be really upset because it kind of seemed like a late timeout call, and, and that was a busted play. Maybe the defense wasn't lining up correctly like they assumed they were going to get the, the, the timeout off, but we've seen times before, very rarely, we've seen times before where the, the timeout doesn't get relayed quick enough, obviously, to the official. Logan Wilson got his first interception in this game. I thought that kind of hit the ground, though. Speaking of some other uh, not-so-good not breaks here for Phil, uh, excuse me, for the L.A. Rams, you know, Another play that I really thought went the Bengals' way. But I got to give respect to Matthew Stafford, too. I didn't think he was going to be really back to himself this year after what had happened with the uh, with the offseason injury and the surgery. But he, you know, he looked healthy. He's flashing his talent with the sidearms out here, extending the game on fourth and three with his legs, finding Puka Nakua on the big throw late in this football game. But unfortunately, he does throw two interceptions. He was 55% on the night. And you got to look at Tutu Atwell and Van Jefferson getting some love all without Cooper Cup in this game. So you got to really see that Sean McVay is, again, trying to be as crafty as he can with what he's got. Tutu Atwell, Van Jefferson, Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua. Those are all guys he's drafted within the last one to three seasons, and they're all coming through and producing. You got Witherspoon with an insane one-handed interception. Literally looks like he was almost the receiver on this play, jumping in with one hand to make that pick. But they were just one for 11 on third down and one for four in the red zone, speaking of the Rams. So you're not going to win any football games when you're crap on money downs, you're crap in the red zone. They only converted that third down and the one solo red zone trip was on the final drive of the game. Stafford, again, sacked six times, 10 QB hits. And we saw last week that when Stafford got comfortable, did they win last week? No, they beat the Seahawks. I can't remember who they lost to last week. Um, I, I'm totally drawing a blank here, but when, you know, Stafford was comfortable in the first half, he was making things happen. He was, I want to say he didn't have very many incompletions and, and it showed like when Matt Stafford gets comfortable, he can wheel and deal with the best of them. And, and we know we've got our Stafford believers out there, right? Um, but there were really some key points in this game that I thought the Rams could have taken away. Again, they get that tough break on Tutu Atwell. I thought that interception from Logan Wilson might've hit the ground. Why is Kyron Williams not running it there? But Hey, 65, 60%, 70% Joe Burrow. I don't like him dropping back 49 times, but Zach Taylor, if you have a chance to outcoach one of the greats in Sean McVay, go do that. Luana Rumo, again, puts on a masterclass defensively to shut down this Rams offense. And I don't know if that's much to say, but knowing how crafty they've been, again, with the Williams, with the Nakua, with the 2-2 out, well, Van Jefferson of recent years, it's impressive to see them be this competitive uh, this early on in the football season when I thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Y'all get in the chat, go get in the comments. Let me know what you think so far about Colorado getting humbled, the Rams narrowly losing to the Bengals. And we got so much more to get into as episode 43 is rolling right along. The Ravens were upset this weekend by the Colts 22 to 19 in overtime and an absolutely crazy ending. And, and this was a fumble fest first and foremost, but it was I, honestly kind of a good game when you see how Gardner Minshew was playing, the adjustments that were made by both teams, again, going down to the wire, the way Lamar was able to play. Speaking of Lamar, he was doing his thing with his touchdown run in the first and third quarter. Big time MVP vibes there for Lamar Jackson. Got no complaints about how he played for most of this football game. And it's so crazy how insane he actually is, how he looks on tape when he's healthy. Because I feel like in a way, we've kind of forgot how Lamar Jackson is when he's healthy. And, you know, I'm constantly having Baltimore high in my power rankings and and looking at them as a great team. And a lot of that is because of Lamar Jackson, because of that defensive culture. I wish they were healthier, but it is what it is. You know, 
at the end of the day. You have his escape on third down after almost being sacked in the fourth quarter. The Ravens had 13 plays, I believe, if not more, of 10 or plus yards. You got Lamar delivering that strike to Justin Tucker to get him into field goal range, but unfortunately, he does miss a couple of key throws late to Zay Flowers in this game. I love what Zay is doing for the Baltimore Ravens. I think it's very remarkable. He was one of my favorite receivers coming into the draft, and I think the Ravens are doing a fantastic job with him. But you got Kyle Hamilton just absolutely obliterating Gardner Minshew in this game, putting his fingerprints all over this game, all over the first half, and that was really a a key point as to why the the Colts at, at first were not really able to get anything going in this football game, uh, but the Ravens offense, unfortunately, they did stall. And overtime, they got just 11 yards on two very conservative overtime possessions. They went forward on fourth down in their own territory with more than enough time on the clock, and clearly it proved costly to them. You got them turning the ball over on downs after kind of a no P.I. call on uh, Zay Flowers with fourth and three, three minutes and 25 seconds to go. Again, Zay Flowers, I think he's looking very good so far in this game. But Baltimore had two touchdowns on 15 total drives. And Lamar had over 100 rushing yards in his career, or excuse me, in this game, first time since week three last year. And you get two touchdowns on 15 total drives in this football game. That alone will have you lose football games in the NFL, and especially against a team that's led by early coach of the year candidate and Shane Steichen. I just got to say, Shane Steichen is doing an amazing damn job I hope to see Anthony Richardson back soon because he was looking special already through two football games. Let's definitely see what he can do when he comes back, gets healthy, learns to slide, get out of bounds. You know, don't give yourself up on those hits. But I got to give credit to the Colts. I mean, really nice wheel rack to uh, wheel route to Zach Moss, who you know who's coming back from that injury he had earlier in the year. He was very solid in this game. Thirty-two touches in total, one hundred and forty-five total yards. That receiving touchdown on the real wheel route was was pretty slick when it. When it first played through, I didn't think it looked very good, but as the replay played out, Minshew just put an absolute dot on the back end for him. And, you know, Shane Steichen went to Zach Moss when it came to that closeout time in overtime when it was time to close out the game. He started the final drive with a 13-yard run to get Indy into plus territory on Baltimore's 40-yard line. Then he would run it three straight times with Zach Moss before Matt Gay, who had a record day with four 50-plus-yard field goals, made every single one of them, lined it up in overtime obviously for the win. And you look, Zach Moss was responsible for 44 point, uh, 44.3% of the offense's production in this game. He's going to make his third star on a road next week against the Rams. And I think it'll be kind of, you know, interesting to see how Zach Moss is going to play out considering he's, you know, pray, uh, played pretty formal, uh, form, played pretty form, formidably, I think, formidably. Is that a word? God, I don't know. Played well in this football game, right? Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see when Jonathan Taylor does come back. If he does come back, obviously he's on the pup list, so he's got one more game to be able to uh, to get through before he's back on the field. But the Colts' defense, I got to give credit to the Colts' defense. Now, again, Lamar did finish the game, 303 total yards, two touchdowns. But the bend-don't-break defense really worked for the Colts today. Indy forced five three-and-outs, one in overtime that was very crucial to the Ravens, starting with the ball on the Indianapolis 48-yard line. That led to a punt. Their last stand ended in a turnover on downs after Baltimore took over at their own 46-yard line. The Colts' defense held the Ravens to 6 of 16 on third downs, and they were 0 of 1 on fourth downs, the big money down fourth. If you're going to go for it, you really want to be able to get it there. Obviously, they were able to hold them unsuccessfully. And we know the Ravens in past years also have been a football team that when they go for it on fourth down, they have a pretty high success rate, especially when Lamar Jackson is healthy and has 300 all-purpose yards and 100 of those with 
his legs. I, I got to say, at certain points in this game, it was really tough watching Gardner Minshew instead of Anthony Richardson out there. He was just getting obliterated by Baltimore. I mean, you had Clowney, Hamilton. Dude goes and steps out of the back of the end zone with the best Dan, Orlo- Dan, Orlo- Dan Orlovsky impression that he's got. But then, you know, he really delivered at that one point in the game. You got Kyle Hanel, Hamilton just absolutely rushing in his pay, in his face on a pass shortly after he stepped out of the back of the end zone. An absolute dot to Michael Pierce, but an even better play by Brandon Stevens. He throws another dot to Michael Pittman in the middle of the field. So Gardner Minshew had his plays in this game where he was getting the Colts back into the spots that he needed them to be in. Again, I want to give a shout out to Matt Gay. 53, 53, 53, and 54 yards. 353 yarders and a 54 yard kick in this game. Nailed all four of them. He now is the first kicker in NFL history to convert convert four field goals of 50 plus yards in a single game. He became the fifth kicker ever with a game tying 50 plus yarder in the final two minutes of regulation and a game winning 50 plus yard field goal in overtime. Speaking more of the Colts defense, two early turnovers on Baltimore. Really, you know, way to way to take possession. You want to see that turn into more points overall. The final score, obviously, only 22 points in the showing, but not a single pass for Lamar traveled more than 30 yards just in the air. You go look at Lamar's passing chart, passing chart, very short, very underneath. I give a lot of credit to this Colts defense or what they were able to do, especially with the output that Lamar Jackson did have. Now, again, they're missing Creed Humphrey. They're missing Marlon Humphrey. They're missing Marcus Williams. I, I think all those guys are still out this game. They're missing Ronnie Staley. And the Colts had a lot of reasons to lose this game. I mean, you got Kyle Hamilton with three big-time sacks on Gardner Minshew. You got Isaiah McKenzie not fielding the punt. Gardner Minshew stepping out of the back of the end zone. Like, it felt like the Colts were really just going to let this game get away from them. And I picked the Ravens coming in. I thought the Ravens were the better football team. I I overall just trust the Ravens more being at home. Um, Yes, they were dealing with the injuries, but it was Gardner Minshew, not, uh, you know, Anthony Richardson. But, But again... Hats off to the defense. Shane Steichen, early coach of the year candidate. I love what he's doing. He is going to turn Anthony Richardson into an absolute monster if things continue to go as well uh, as they do. I know they're not going well right now because Anthony Richardson's hurt, but it's clear that what he did for Herbert, what he did for Hertz, is going to happen here with Anthony Richardson. I want to give some credit to Deshaun Watson as the Browns offense does bounce back against the Titans. Not going to really dissect this game, but Deshaun Watson clearly played his best game as a Cleveland Brown this past Sunday, winning over the Titans 27-3. They were at home. Deshaun Watson was 27-33 of for 289 yards, which was his high with the Cleveland Browns. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. And Deshaun just looked like himself again. I mean, he was very accurate. Again, 27-33 of on the night. He had some big throws. He was able to really get the multiple arm angles in. He had a couple of Houdini-like plays early on in the game where he's slipping out of sacks. It kind of reminded me of that wild card game when he literally spins out of the sack, runs out to the right, makes the throw, and you know they end up winning that football game. That was the year they blow it 24 to nothing, unfortunately, against the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I mean, Deshaun Watson, he looked solid. He wasn't afraid to move around. I thought the movement overall with the legs was very You know, Deshaun Watson against a decent Titans front seven. You know, I'm not going to say they're great. I do think they could have some, you know, more to be desired on the back end, which is why Deshaun had such a great game. Again, almost 300 yards, did not turn the ball over here, or, or at least no interceptions, rather, right? Um, and it was good to see Deshaun Watson get back to this because if you, you know, guys have been following the page, especially you check out YouTube, Deshaun Watson through eight games looked horrible. Deshaun Watson's last eight games were worse than Carson Wentz's last eight games. Less yards per game, less yards per attempt, worse completion percentage. 
Um, I, I can't remember the exact record. I know that Deshaun Watson was four and four, but when you're getting compared to Carson Wentz, who was unemployed, <laughs> that's not looking good. You got you got 230 million large, brother, fully guaranteed. They're not playing any games. I think you should get at least the rest of the season when we basically miss a 28-game sample size of you because you're going to play at least 17 the, the year that you missed the Texans and then you missed 11 with the Browns. So we're missing a season and a half sample size from you. We, not we, things rolled the way they did and, and, and you were out of the NFL for a year at the peak. So we're asking questions of what are the Browns actually going to be if Deshaun Watson's not good? Because the reason I had the Browns, I kind of want to revisit my uh, division predictions, maybe quarter of the way, halfway through the year, just, you know, kind of see how I'm panning out, at least just peek at it and be like, oh, that's funny. Because I had the Browns going 13 and four, winning the AFC North because of their schedule, because of the way the schedule really played out for everybody in the AFC North. And that was largely because of Deshaun Watson. Now you see the defense is clearly the thing that's carrying the Browns this year, which is good. I mean, the Browns have a case for the best defense in the NFL, the best defense in the AFC. You know, like right behind the Steelers. Hell, you could argue that they're right up there with the Steelers, right? They look good. They look really good. They're getting to the quarterback. They're forcing turnovers. I get it. It's early in the year. And that's why I was also saying, hey, let's let's kind of pump the brakes a little bit. It's only been eight total games back for Deshaun Watson. He's getting compared to Baker Mayfield. Baker's looking better in his first two starts back than Deshaun was in his first two starts of the season. You know, Baker's first two with the Bucs, Deshaun's first two of the year with the Browns. But I was like, hold on, hold on. Like, we got to take this into context. You know, Deshaun Watson literally got pulled away from the game of football, his fault or not, which I think it was, obviously. He got pulled away from the game of football at his peak. I mean, the dude was like top five, top four, almost 5,000 yards, low interceptions, very mobile. Great decision-making, high completion percentage. And we he misses the next 28 games. And we had said, like, damn, did Deshaun Watson pick up a football while he was out of the league? Did Deshaun Watson study tape? Looked like he was just running to run. It didn't look like Deshaun Watson, and I'm not going to say he couldn't return to his Houston form, because I think he can. Hell, I think he can be better realistically. I, you might think that's weird, but I like Kevin Stefanski as a coach. I really do. I love what the Browns defense is giving him. I feel like it's the best defense he's played with in his career. And look at the offensive weapons. Yes, it sucks that Nick Chubb is out, but you got a good O-line. You got a decent tight end. You got a star in Amari Cooper. Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunter are probably going to do decently well. So the monocle was on Deshaun Watson. I love that he plays better in this game. Again, he looked like his own self. Accuracy, mobility, deep shots, decision-making. I mean, that felt like he had the number four for the Houston Texans back on his back. Like he had that longhorn on the side of his helmet. But y'all get in the chat, get in the comments. Let me know what you think about the Browns offense bouncing back to Sean Watson, having his best game as a Cleveland Brown. I was happy to see it. Deshaun, I'm not going to say he's one of my favorite players, but I'd like to see Deshaun play. I mean, let's be real. The league was going to be better when Aaron Rodgers was playing. Y'all might think it's a ticky-tack, you know, subject or statement, I stick to what Deshaun has done on the field. It's not my job to dig into his personal life. I will never go on this show and say, well, he said this, so that means that they're going to turn into that. We know what happened off the field with Deshaun Watson. I'm talking about strictly his play and what he has and hasn't shown us on the NFL field so far. This has been episode 43 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate each and every one of you for tapping into the show tonight. Y'all, please make sure to like the stream wherever you may be watching. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit the bell on YouTube as well if you like all the content I'm putting out, the lives, 
the shorts, the posts, the clips from the show. Again, share that stream wherever you may be watching. Share the link with a friend that loves sports podcasts, just a good podcast, the NFL. Or if you think they just might enjoy the show in general, at the NFL with AJL on all social media platforms. Of course, the QR code here will give you every bit of content that we're bringing to you, whether it's on social media or podcast podcast platforms. Excuse me. Get at us on social. DM me. Comment on the stories. Whatever you need to do to get in my ear, to get in front of the NFL with AJL, please do it. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, we're sponsored by Buy and Sell with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs. Whether you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, or invest in real estate, Buy and Sell with AJL is the place that you need to be. And the team that you need to use, drop your email down below or at them on social media in their DMs to get on their exclusive monthly real estate newsletter that actually keeps you ahead of the daunting media headlines, gives you the truth of interest rates. Should you buy now? Should you sell now? And again, email in the comments, email on the DM, get at them. They can give you some really awesome buyer and seller info that they've used and had AI help them curate to really get down to the nitty gritty on buying and selling a piece of real estate. We're going to have a small break here. That was the first half of episode 43. We'll be right back. Welcome back into episode 43 of the NFL with AJL. Hope you stuck with us there through the break. Just had to get a second to breathe, sip some lemon water out of my nice New Orleans Saints cup. I'm a, I'm a Saints fan, if you didn't know. Um, and obviously a chance for you to catch a break as well. Again, at the NFL with AJL on all social media platforms, you can check the QR code in the top of the screen. That is every bit of social media and podcast content we've got. And y'all already knew on episode 43, we were going to get into the Miami Dolphins, legendary, historic day 
historic win. Saints fans are happy as hell after the way their game ended and this game ended as well. As the Dolphins drop a NFL record 70 points on the Denver Broncos, they plant the second most yards ever in an NFL game. They score 10 touch, excuse me, score 10 touchdowns in this football game. And this game is loaded with numbers, right? I'm going to give you all the numbers. The way that the Dolphins won really isn't mysterious, but I want to talk a little bit about Sean Payton as well and really how things are kind of shaping out for him now that this has happened in week three of the NFL season. So the Dolphins scored the second most points ever in an NFL game. They need at the end to be a class act. I got to give my hats off to Mike McDaniel. He was a Broncos ball boy back in the day. We've seen that meme kind of circulating around. So he had the respect. He was a class act. You see, Sean Payton was a class act at midfield as well. He said, good job, man. Like Sean Payton knows that was a very well executed game from the Dolphins, clearly not by his Denver Broncos. Second most yards ever in an NFL game. One of just four 70 plus point games in NFL history. It's the biggest win in 57 years by 50 points. Only the 1940 Bears and the 1966 Washington team. I love how they say that. More points in a single game. We've never had a final score of 7 to 20. The Dolphins won for the 13th time in their last 15 games at home, which is their best 15 game stretch ever, going back to October 7th of 01 to December 15th of 02 when they went 13 2 in that stretch as well. Here's another interesting one. They're now 11 and 1 in games that two starts against teams with a head coach that won a Super Bowl, including 10 of those wins in a row that is the longest streak in the NFL right now. And the Dolphins were clearly wheeling and dealing with four touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had a couple. They scored 10 touchdowns in a football game, seven touchdowns by running backs in total, I believe. Five rushing touchdowns, five passing touchdowns. Tua was 16 of 16, two touchdowns no interceptions, perfect passer rating in the first half. Benton was absolutely getting blasted on social media. People are already calling for his job, but I kind of don't blame him. If you give something up like this, like you're probably on a three, four game pitch count. I feel like at this point, when you give up points like that, the third most ever passing yards without an incompletion at the half, talking about Tua, the second most completions without an incompletion in a half as well. Literally everything went right for this football team, right? Mike White threw a touchdown to Robbie Chosen. No one even cared about the kick return by Denver in this game because it was so out of reach for the Miami Dolphins. And they did all this without Jalen Waddle. I'm not going to say if they had Jalen Waddle, they would have scored 100 points, but I think we're definitely sitting here today on the show talking about the Miami Dolphins, having the, the Miami Dolphins, having the points ever in a game. Now, maybe Mike McDaniel still would have kneeled it, right? Because he got in a field goal range. He had the chance to go upwards in the record books. He's like, no, I'm going to take the foot off the gas. It's, it's clearly been a tough day, but my boy's over in Denver. They already got blown out 42 to 6 on the NCAA level. I've already done it to them 70 to 20. Let me not just put the cherry on the top and take or get close to the total record for most points ever scored in an NFL game by a team. And Sean Payton was just straight up embarrassed, right? I mean, literally at a loss for words and embarrassed is what he said in the press conference. And he's even getting chippy with some of the reporters. He's like, what's the question? I'm like, ah, ha, ha, ha. there's that vintage Sean Payton I've known from those New Orleans days. Like Sean Payton can be very, very brash, very straightforward, very blunt. I mean, just sometimes downright rude. He can be very upfront with you about certain topics. And when you get 70 dropped on your head and you lose him by 50, probably not going to be a good mood at the postgame presser. I know none of us would if we would have been in Sean Payton's shoes. But I just got to know, why were there starters in the game when you're down 50? That's that Sean Payton stuff right there. Why are your starters in the game when you're down 50 in this football game? You're getting the doors blasted off of you. You really think that everybody wanted to see Russell Wilson out there realistically probably after it was 50 to 20? 
And I get it. You don't give up, right? We've seen comebacks in the NFL. We've seen Sean Payton do it. We just saw the Packers do it over the weekend. Like when momentum swings, and sometimes it's not a matter of if, but when, but sometimes it be, can, can be in the realm of if, because you have to make it happen. Like what is actually going to happen if that moment presents itself? It never did in this game. So why were your starters, Sean Payton? You're also looking very questionable as well. You're blasting Nathaniel Hackett, absolutely ringing him, saying it's the worst coaching job maybe ever. <laughs> and you go out here and you're 0-3. You have 50, a 50-point 50 loss on your record. You have a 70-point defensive outing on your head coaching record in Denver. You blow an 18-point lead at home to the Washington Commanders who have a good offense this year, but let's be real, you're, you're a better team than them. And I think now I'm realizing that I had way more put into the Denver Broncos than I ever should have because Sean Payton is now 0-2 at home and has a 50-point loss on his record. And in a way, I feel bad for Sean Payton, right? You give up a first-round pick for this guy to get traded to a team to where the former ball boy literally beats you by 50. And I know that's kind of a stretch, right? But that's, I mean, that, that's the narrative, right? That's, that's the headliner. Is that's what the Broncos are looking at at this point in the NFL season. I mean, it's, it's, it's so bad right now in Denver. You've got, you've got Denver fans saying like, tank for Caleb. Tank for Caleb. We'll go try to find, you know, Bo Nix, whatever. I mean, they want to lose so badly at this point. And you got to look, look at Vance Joseph. Absolutely horrible outing. Devon Hayne, 240 rushing yards? Tyreek Hill? He's Tyreek Hill. I just, oh, I think it could have gotten ugly way earlier, way faster if Jalen Waddle actually would have played. They let the Dolphins set every possible record in the NFL books. Most points allowed by a team since 1966. You lose to a, a really average to, to, to really bad Raiders team, if I'm being honest. Cortland Sutton fumbles twice in this game. He drops a touchdown. I mean, it was just hideous for the Denver Broncos in this game from start to finish. And I love to see this from Tua. I will say this about Tua's outing. He did it last year against the Ravens. He did it this year against the Chargers. Clearly a shit defense. He does it in this game against the Broncos. Clearly a shittier defense. But Tua looks great. He looks healthy. He looks bigger. The arm looks better. He looks fearless. Confident, like, you know, Chad Johnson, Chad Ochocinco said it on Nightcap with Unc and Ocho. Shout out to that on Club Shay Shay, the volume by, uh, uh, the volume swerps by Colin Cowherd. If you're looking for a great recap of Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday night football, Nightcap with Shannon Sharp and Chad Ochocinco, a.k.a. Unc and, Ocho, uh, Unc and Ocho is absolutely great. But Ocho said, when you lose confidence as a player, it's a hell of a thing. Confidence can take you so far. I was even thinking it earlier today. I would almost be willing to say a confident person with average skills is better with a person that has elite skills but average confidence because confidence will take you to the point of doing things that you really thought you could never do or really busting through to that next level. And I think that's what we're seeing from Tua. And maybe you want to discount it, right? Oh, he's got Tyreek and he's got Jalen Waddle and Raheem Mostert and Devon A. Shane. Okay, you pissed because they surrounded him with speed? I mean, we can only do so much to take away from what a team actually has with him. And Mike McDaniel as well. Again, another early coach of the year candidate with what he's doing with Miami. <laughs> like, I really didn't think he was going to be like this. Kind of hit me with the Joe Burrow effect. Like, okay, he's coming in. He's got this hype. But like, is he actually going to perform? And maybe you don't like the comp to Joe Burrow, but just kind of like what it reminded me of as I thought back to it in a moment of sports. 
Mike McDaniel is putting on a masterclass with Tua T at the helm. We know Tua would have been a number one overall pick if he would have been healthy. I've always been a fan of Tua. Always been a fan of Jalen Hurts. I got a lot of respect for the Alabama quarterbacks, but I want to see Tua do it against a Bills defense, against a Jets defense, you know, against a healthy Ravens defense, against a Niners defense. Like, I want to see him do it against the more reputable teams because we saw last year passer rating touchdowns, you know, yards per game, completion percentage. It fell when he went up against better teams. I do believe that Tua can take that leap to do it against elite defenses. I'm always going to get hype about what he does against any team, but you got to take it into context here. Chargers bad defense, like we've already talked about Brandon Staley on the show enough. Vance Joseph should arguably be fired. I love that he did it against the Patriots. That's the one positive out of the last three awesome games that he's had. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Tua. Big fan of his. I absolutely loved when he was drafted into the league. I just want to get a little more numbers here on this actual Dolphins game is, of course, we just absolutely with points in this game. Um, all right. Let's see. Raheem Moser had four touchdowns. Devon A. Shane obviously went off as well. This was the fourth 70-plus point game in NFL history. The other three were the 40 Bears, which they had 73 in the NFL chip game. The 66 Washington team had 72, and the 50 Rams had 70. It was the second most yards ever in an NFL game with 726, only the 1951 Rams. Clearly, they were doing big things there back in the 50s. They had 735. They're the first team in NFL history with five passing touchdowns and five rushing touchdowns in a game. They're the second team in NFL history with multiple players with four touchdowns in a game. The 2004 Chiefs were the other. They're the second team since at least 1940 with 300-plus yards rushing and passing in a single game. The 2012 Niners also did the same thing. They ran 71 plays and averaged a first down a game, a play, 10.2 yards per play. The most yards per play by a team with 70-plus offensive plays ran since 1960. Second largest win in franchise history. They beat the Patriots 52-0 back in 1972. The first 50-point win in the NFL since 2014 when the Raiders uh, Rams beat the Raiders 52-0. And the final score was one never before seen in the NFL. The Broncos scored more points Sunday than the Broncos have all season. Excuse me, the Dolphins scored more points Sunday, 70, than the Broncos have all year with 69. Miami has 1,651 yards of offense through three games, the most in NFL history. The Dolphins have scored 130 points through three games, which is tied for the second most by any team through three games in history. The 1968 Dallas Cowboys had 132. So it was just a bad day at the office, right? Like Sean Payton, the defense, Absolutely horrible. Darby, what's good, man? Happy to see you in the chat. You tuned in at the right time because I'm dragging Sean Payton right now. Sean Payton coming in, thinking he can fix this with Russell Wilson. Obviously, the defense is is, is a big issue, right? The, the, the offense isn't necessarily where they're falling short so much. <laughs> but when you give up 70, it's going to be hard to run back into that and chase him down and, and actually get to a point where you can make it a competitive football game. Sean Payton's job is in question already. Sean Payton can possibly be gone by Thanksgiving. When you start 0-3, you blow an 18-point lead at home, you get a 70-piece complimentary 70-burger dropped on your head, you lose by 50, the Dolphins set every record book out, every book in the record out there. The Dolphins set almost every offensive franchise record for Miami in that game. Sean Payton's job question. You thought it was easier with Russell Wilson. Clearly it's not. There's a lot more here to be fixed than you thought. And it sucks that you drag Nathaniel Hackett's name because unfortunately, Sean, you might not even make it through the full first year 
that you're with the Denver Broncos. Going off of a former Saints coach in Sean Payton, on to now the New Orleans Saints. As the Saints lose Derek Carr to their dog shit offensive line, they blow a 17-point road lead and give up 18 unanswered points to lose 18-17 to at Green Bay. What did I tell y'all about this offensive line for the New Orleans Saints? What did I tell you guys actually had to happen so the Saints could get to the point of where they needed to be? What I tell you? That they had to protect Derek Carr. They had to give Derek Carr time. And because they didn't do that, now our quarterback is hurt. And it's like, can we, can we catch a break? Literally, 2019, Drew Brees' thumb injury right after the no call. Teddy goes in, goes 5-0. Blessing from the gods there. 2020, Drew Brees got hurt again. He gets crushed because Cesar Ruiz absolutely whips. Jamison Taysom come in, and they're, and they're Jamison Taysom. 2021, Jamison tears the ACL after going 5-2 and two in Sean Payton's last year. 2022, Jamis gets hurt again. We shuffle through it. 2023, Derek Carr, and now he's hurt. I have a picture here for how many starting quarterbacks the New Orleans Saints have honestly had since Drew Brees has left. You want to know how the Saints are doing since Brees has left? Trevor Simeon has four starts. Taysom Hill has five starts. Ian Book has one start. Jameis has 10. Andy Dalton has 14. And Derek Carr has three. What did I tell y'all about this offensive line? You're giving up a sack a quarter. 12 sacks been up on the year. Four sacks a game given up. Y'all know walking into this game, we were the only team in the NFL with three receivers in the top 35 of receiving yards, right? This is one of the best receiving trios we've had in a while. Michael Thomas is staying healthy. Rashid Shahid was a steal. He's like our Tyreek Hill. And we've got Chris Olave, who was very versatile as well. It's almost like in a way, if DA and Pete Carmichael could get their shit together, that we could have our own Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I'm not reaching for the stars because those are two one-of-a-kind players, but the speed of Olave and Shahid is definitely something that you kind of utilize in a similar way. I told y'all about this offensive line, and unfortunately, I, I am stupid as hell for thinking that this actually wouldn't lead to a Derek Carr injury. I mean, really, considering how much time Derek Carr didn't have, he was pressured on 50% of his dropbacks in week when we saw it early on. Shockingly, Ryan Ramchek, who was once the highest paid tackle in the league, I, I don't know what happened to him. Ryan Ramchek gave it up, who's our so lineman, by, but, but not by much. First is Drew Brees going down, getting his insides crushed because Carl or Cesar Ruiz is slipping. He just became the highest paid as well. And now you've got Derek Carr with Ryan Ramchek slipping. Four sacks on the day, five tackles for losses, six quarterback hits. Trevor Penning needs help on every fucking play. And to have all the resources invested in this offensive line for it to play like this. Y'all realize in the Super Bowl, and, and I'm going to just give y'all a perspective. This is, this is 14 years ago in the NFL. But y'all want to know how good the Saints offensive line was the year that we won the Super Bowl? We gave up two sacks all year. Bushrod, Evans, names out there. Saints fans out there from, from the Hudak corner, y'all know. You've been riding with the team for a long time. You remember the 2009 offensive line under Drew Brees? 20 sacks given up all year. We've already given up 12. Carr took three of them in this game. Jameis Winston took one. We got to use backs and tight ends to chip and, and get help, and that's still falling through because if, if you're not Tony Jones, we can't duplicate him three or four times. He's a, he's a running back. He can, he can produce on pass protection, but I mean, Jesus H, man. Took three games. Derek Carr survived. <laughs> Ten and a half quarters. He goes down on the first drive of the third quarter. 
Dennis Allen, you're next because this, this is a horrible loss on your resume. You want to know what the Saints did against the Packers Sunday and still lost a football game? They gave up 18 points to an NFL team in 2023. They're now 11 in a row, 11 games in a row giving up under 20 points. You know the Saints are 6-5 and five in those games under Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael? You pitched a shutout through three quarters. You were up 17-0. You lost a football game. You know you have over 90% chance of winning a football game when you, when you score a special teams touchdown? You know it's been four years since the Saints have done that on punt return? They lost a football game. You won the turnover battle. Didn't turn the football over. You lost a football game. You had less penalties. You lost. The Saints are 6-5 and five in their past 11 record-setting defensive games. We can't keep going like this. This loss is familiar, too. Y'all remember this? Saints fans, ears on. 2021, you're leading at home by 11 to the Giants. Minutes to go. They force overtime and you lose. You miss a postseason by one game that year. 2022, you're up 13 with just over two minutes to play to the Bucs and you melt. You become the Falcons, literally. Miss playoffs that year, too. Bucks made it with an 8-9 record. It was the Bucs that, that made it, the team that we blew the lead to. It was them that made it. And then today, excuse me, not today, and then Sunday. Yeah, the Saints lost a division last year when you were up by 13 in the fourth to the Bucs. They lost a division, which made them miss the playoffs. So now two seasons in a row must win games. And even before that, I can remember when we lost to the Falcons. I just saw my face memory pop up. A couple years ago, we mailed it into the Falcons being undefeated. The Saints are like 7-0. Falcons are like 1-6. And I'm talking smack like, oh, we're going to be 7-0. and Y'all are going to be 1-7. and Nah, we left that game 6-1. and And I think they I think they exited like 2-6 and or something like that. So, you know, we've had games in the past of the Saints losing them. But, God, not like this, right? Not like this. For everyone out there saying it's on Jameis Winston, please put some logic into your life. Please understand that Jameis Winston and Derek Carr had identical stats and that Jameis actually got us into field goal range. And Blake Groupie, the rookie, Folded. You you got to hit that kick, bro. Look, I'm not dragging you. It's your first, you know, first, first, uh, you know, b- big time miss. We're all looking at you like that for you're a rookie. It's your first year, but you won't get many more misses like that without your job possibly being called on. I'll just say that, Blake Groupie. I definitely, definitely will. The coaching overall was bad in this game. Conservative offense. Dennis Hallen's play calling on the defense to literally give up 18 points in the fourth quarter. But I'm sorry, it it showed in this game that we cannot roll with Jameis Winston like we can with Derek Carr. We had five straight punts with Jameis Winston until we missed the de- uh, until we missed the field, and the defense got absolutely gassed in this game. They got gassed. I mean, I'll give credit where credit was due, right? Like we we're hype about the Rashid Shahid punt return, but we only had ten points under Derek Carr before he went out. Scored sixteen in the home opener, twenty points last week. Where is this offense? What are we doing? I'm giving Pete Carmichael the pass walking into this year. Michael Darby's here with me on the show. I think he's still tapped in live. And he's like, bro, Pete, Carm- Pete Carmichael needs to go. I said, bro, he's been with us 17 years. Maybe it was Sean Payton. <sighs> it's hard, y'all. It's really hard being a fan of a team that goes you week in and week out. <laughs> Let me have a sip from my Saints cup. Let me let me get some wisdom. It's just hard right now. And we knew it was going to be tough after, right? But God, I didn't know 
it was going to feel like this, look like this, operate like this. But I guess let me take some positives, right? So Elante Taylor, this was, this was the Elante Taylor game until it wasn't, right? Stepping in big for Paulson Adebo. Obviously, Marcus May was out as well. I thought he was really balling in this game until that DPI call on him I thought was kind of chippy. I'm not going to be the average Saints fan and complain about the penalties because it's 2023. Like, the refs are the refs. You got to play well enough to not let them be the next factor in the game. But he was locking everything down. I was very proud of Elante. I'm like, damn, about to go out there and buy an Elante Taylor jersey. Like, he was just playing impeccable defense. Dude really reminded me of C.J. Gardner-Johnson out there. I mean, straight up, like, he really gave me that C.J. Gardner-Johnson type of vibe just with the energy, like he's kind of jawing. And I think that's what the team saw in him when they brought him in. I thought he showed some good potential last year. Again, Paulson and Debo out, Marcus May out. So, like, I have some reservations, right, for the loss, or I guess some some excuses. I don't, I don't fucking know. It's it's just horrible to overall go up against. Obviously, Yadam, or Yadam, Yadam, whatever, he looked terrible. He got picked on all game. All game he got picked on. And I'll give credit to Green Bay, right? I'll give them absolute major credit for their halftime halftime adjustments, picking on the backup corner DB, you know, utilizing no Marcus May, no Paulson Adebo, like really taking advantage of that. Jordan Love, Jordan Love again, giving a player confidence will take them places. Jordan Love now feels confident inside this Matt LaFleur offense, and Matt LaFleur has showed Jordan Love that form at that high type of level. So I've, I've got respect for it, right? I absolutely. I did think that DPI call on Elante was a little chippy, a little ticky-tack, but 18 points in the fourth quarter. Jordan Love with some big throws, the touchdown run, kind of shooing the guy to the side of him. Like, I got I got all respect for that, man. Jordan Love looks solid so far. Packers fans should be happy as hell. Packers fans should be absolutely happy. But what I don't want to hear is the Packers did this without their two best offensive linemen. There was no Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, Jair Alexander. They've been playing hurt all season. They beat the Bears, who the worst team in the league. They blew it to the Falcons, basically, because the Falcons' defense is good. They lose by one to the Falcons. And we had to lose our starting quarterback for the momentum to swing and, honestly, for us to just choke the game away. But the game, clearly, like, we played like we had no hair on our chest after Derek Carr went out. And that is piss poor. Piss poor. It's painful. It's very painful. Very, very painful. Momentum is a hell of a thing. You get that, you get old Mo going, you flip it on its head. And and that's what happened, right? Like Derek Carr's hurt. He doesn't get up. I'm like, <laughs> we, we already thought, already thought we overpaid him. And now he's hurt. <sighs> well, thankfully, Alvin Kamara does come back. But what's Alvin Kamara going to be without this offensive line being able to protect? We can't get any domination on the run side of the ball without the offensive line producing. We clearly can't get pass protection because we already got our quarterback hurt. Alvin Kamara thrives screen games and run game, you know, being electric, but he's got to have the foundation of the O-line. We remember what Teron Armstead was doing for that dude on screen plays. And look at now how Teron, shout out to him in his healthy debut, able his team to put up 70 in his first game of the year. But, you know, Teron Armstead looks great. I miss some of the former O-linemen that we had. And Derek was week-to-week with an AC sprain. Drew Brees said back in 2014, I think he didn't practice all week. He played through it in the game, and he was fine. Drew Brees was a different legend. Derek Carr has had some injuries that have been concerning. Clearly, he wasn't the same after he broke his leg, but he was a special player before then. And I think it's still a solid quarterback, right? He's week-to-week. 
We got New England. We got Jacksonville. We got Houston coming up. I know not in that exact world. Obviously, we got Tampa as well. Like, if we can maybe float until the Jacksonville game, I think we're okay. Jacksonville might be our toughest test. But again, again, like, you don't think the Bucs are going to rush Shaq Barrett? Devin White? Um, other linebacker. Devin, Devin Bush? No? Devin White? Uh, damn, I can't remember the other linebacker. You don't think they're going to bring pressure with them? <laughs> Better get it together quick, New Orleans. Trevor, so I don't, I don't even want to say eyes on you, man. It's already on you. Trevor Prending, Cesar Ruiz, Hurst, Pete, Ramchek, <sighs> Doug Marone. I got to move on. Absolutely fucking horrible. Saints lose 18-17 at Green Bay. Give up 18 unanswered points. Offensive lineman's bad. Quarterback hurt. At least he's week to week, though. All right, let's get out of the sadness. Let's get into the Texans beating the Jags 37-17. to And I want to start off this by giving credit to C.J. Stroud, my favorite quarterback coming into the NFL draft. C.J. Stroud clearly got comfortable in this game, was really able to do his thing. And that shows you when a quarterback gets comfortable, again, when a player and a quarterback get confident, they can take their game to new levels. And and this was, you know, really CJ Stroud's best outing I felt like of the year of the year. Now he's got the most attempts without an interception, 121 attempts in his first 3 career games, 906 total yards, which is the third most ever behind Cam Newton and Justin Herbert. You got to give credit to what CJ Stroud was able to do in the big throw to Tank Dell on the back end that set it up. Obviously Damian Pierce is able to punch it in. He gets a little mobile with his legs, rolls out of the pocket some, and we're starting to see a little bit of that CJ Stroud that we saw in Georgia or against Georgia, you know, in the playoffs, which is what got him to the second overall pick, which is what was able to really skyrocket his draft status, right? When he played that way against Georgia. I mean, hell, you could say that was a national championship. His mobility was impeccable. His accuracy was impeccable. He was making nice throws. He was, you know, getting moved out of the pocket some when he needed to. I thought it was good play calling. Like 37 points from a CJ Stroud led offense is absolutely great. Damian Pierce doing his thing. Robert Woods coming in clutch. Tank Dell having a big day. This is why C.J. Stroud was a number two overall pick. This is why C.J. Stroud was my favorite quarterback coming into the draft. And notice he's the only one left standing. Anthony Richardson doesn't know how to protect himself, and Bryce Young is too small. Meanwhile, C.J. Stroud, it's a window over a different point. has the most attempts for that interception, 121, and in the third most yards for a rookie quarterback in the first three games. So there's really... You know, no knock here, Stroud, right? Like, he played well, doing some good things. And, you know, ultimately, I think the Texans have a lot to look forward to here with C.J. Stroud. He showed that he was calm. He showed that he can run the offense. I do think, realistically, C.J. Stroud is more of a game man. He's he's more than a game manager. I don't believe he's a quarterback that can necessarily overcome dysfunction. There's, you know, a handful of those in history, let alone, you know, maybe two or three in the league right now that can actually do it. But his poise, his pocket presence, like when he started to get comfortable, he was wheeling and dealing. And I love to see that from C.J. Stroud. The, the, you know, the Jags defense has been, you know, like pretty decent through the first two weeks of the season. They obviously hold Anthony Richardson off. He throws a rookie interception early in that game, but the Colts had a chance to win that game. They stifled the Super Bowl champs to 17 points in the Kansas City Chiefs, but they turn around and only score nine. And then in this game, I mean, you've got the Jags, Outgaining the Texans 404 to 366, outpassing them by eight yards, outrushing them by 30 yards. Now, they didn't have more yards per play. They were worse on third down, but to lose by 20 and outgain somebody, 
outsnap somebody by 14? Only punt twice? Less penalties? Now, they did lose a turnover battle, but you dominate time of possession and you lose by 20. What's going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars? I'm very disappointed with the way this team is playing right now. Offense is not good on third down. They were bad against the Texans. Or excuse me. Or was he, or they were bad against the Texans on third down. Five for 13. They were bad against the Colts on third down. Bad against the Chiefs on third down. They're not able to get it done in the red zone or on money downs. And that really makes or breaks you in this league. Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Calvin Ridley, Tank Bigsby. Like Etienne and Bigsby, they had some, you know, rushing combinations in this game. Most of it came through Etienne because he's a featured back. But like what's actually going on with this Jags team? I mean, you even got, you know, their first half offense. You got Will Anderson coming in as a rookie and blocking the kick. What a great thing for for Will Anderson to do in the rookie position. But, you know, the Jags defense is a little concerning because now it's finally broke. And, you know, it's going to be a thing now where teams have seen this on tape. Like teams know what's up. And you feel like the defense kept them afloat in the first two games, which is, you know, really why they didn't lose horribly to the Chiefs who have been, you know, showed they can just put up points on a, a horrible Bears defense. Um, and then, you know, they hold the Colts to 21. But but Anthony Richardson, like if you hadn't thrown that pick, Anthony Richardson was kind of on the way to leading a game-winning drive in his NFL regular season debut against a Super Bowl-winning head coach and a former number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence, all under that toolage of, Stain, you know, of Shane Steichen. They had a few key stops in the second half that helped the offense put enough points on the scoreboard to get on top in week one and week two. Of course, they limit Kansas City to just six points in the first half. But, you know, the the, the defense, again, overall is just not something that in this game was, um, you know, a big success for them. For the first time in the season, the Jaguars defense gave up more than 30 points. It was still 70 to 10 early in the third quarter, but they just couldn't stop them. C.J. Stroud balling the special teams gave them a touchdown the the kick return by Andrew Beck give that love to the fullback position man because holy crap he was running with passion he was high stepping he was dodging it but the 30 points in this game come solely on the defense of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And what's even crazier to know that CJ Stroud was so solid, to know that they won by 20, and to know that the Jags couldn't get anything going, especially defensively, is the Texans dominated the line of scrimmage. The fact that they were without Laramie Tunsil, who's their best left tackle, their best offensive lineman. They were without several starters. Left guard Kendrick Green. Kendrick Green had just come to the team a couple weeks ago. So nobody would have been shocked if he struggled, but he actually held his own and, and did a pretty decent job of, of protecting CJ Stroud in this game. Jaguars did not sack C.J. Stroud once in this game. They were absolutely manhandled in the trenches, and C.J. Stroud came in and did his thing. The Jaguars have to get better on third down. The Jaguars have to get more productive on offense because this is an offense coming in. Week one, we saw it with Calvin Ridley. We saw it with Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Travis Etienne. Evan Ingram is a different beast with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now, I, I literally think Evan Ingram is a different player and he provides such great athleticism. I mean, he's he's kind of a freak of nature athletically when you look at Evan Ingram with the Jacksonville Jaguars. They got to be better. They got to tighten up the defense because we're, when you're going up against rookie quarterbacks in week one, Super Bowl champ in week two, I get it, but lasted by AFC South, you know, rival and the Houston Texans in week three. Jags got to tighten up. 
the Jags have to tighten up. I think they will. I just bought tickets to the Thursday night football game. Saints, Jags, thank you, Darby. Going to have so much fun out there with you, man. You know, I'm going to get you back. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm pumped. 715 New Orleans, the first primetime game Thursday night. I bought those tickets. We bought those tickets because we thought it was going to be the best game of the year playing the Jags. Jeez, after the way they're playing, I'm not sure uh, that that's going to be so much of the case. This was a surprising game of the weekend to me. Now, I had the Lions winning this football game, but the Falcons do fall to the Lions 20-6 to in Detroit on Sunday. And there are some things going on with the Atlanta Falcons that I'm curious about. Again, I expected the Lions to win this game. They win 20-6. to But where are the Falcons in this game? Where were the Atlanta Falcons in this football game offensively, defensively at times? Jared Goff kind of seems like he's just moving into a purgatory where he can't get touched behind his offensive line. But I'm worried about the Falcons coaching yet again. Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinators, yet again. Kyle Pitt has nine catches for 100 yards through three games. You took him fourth overall. It's the highest pick, the highest pick tight end ever. I already told you it was a bad pick. We'll get into that a little bit later. You take him that early. You're misusing him so much. We know he's coming off of an injury mark 2022. Great 68 catches for over 1,000 yards in his rookie year. The Cowboys called for him in a trade request, and that got shut down because the Falcons know what they have. And the Falcons realistically know you took him high because of what you saw in him. He should really be in your slot receivers, but how could you warrant getting anything for them, him or anything sustainable back in a trade package if Kyle Pitts hasn't even really done anything? You got Drake London has had eight catches for 98 yards through two games, really just two games played because in week one, he had 20 routes ran and had one target in game one with no catches. What are we doing here, Atlanta? And I'm not even trying to bag on y'all because I'm a Saints fan. I, I just keep close eyes on y'all as being in the division. Like, I thought y'all were going to be really good this year. Defense is still holding up, but thoughts like Drake London, Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts, those are all top picks out of the last couple drafts at the position, right? Oh, yeah, they are. But you didn't take an offensive lineman. You didn't take a defensive lineman. Hmm. We're going to get into that here in just a minute as well because uh, there's a reason that I said the Bijan felt worse than the Kyle Pitts pick, or just as bad. Bijan Robinson is getting used well in the passing game, but he's not super producing. Back, I get it. He's a rookie. It's through three weeks. But with the Falcons last year, the Falcons really top three, if not the best in all major rushing categories last year. Attempts per game, yards per attempt, yards per game, rushing touchdowns per game, rushing success rate, rushing EPA. And they doubled down and took Bijan when they were already strong in that strong suit, right? So you would think, okay, the Falcons are going to be a without question run first team that uses hell out of Bijan Robinson. The Falcons had 44 yards total rushing with this team in this game. Tyler Aljair and Bijan Robinson. Do the Falcons have an identity? Like, what are they trying to do offensively? And here's where I could, my, my concerns kind of start to pile up, right? So Arthur Smith and the coaching schemes are now being called into question by others. I'm especially starting to look at it this year with all the talent that you've got on the team. And you can see he's tried to implement the passing game in the beginning of his last two games. Last game against the Packers, Desmond Ritter obviously has a day, yards. He had some nice stats there. And people were feeling okay about him, right? But Desmond Ritter has not been able to competently produce. And Arthur Smith knows that. And I think that's why he's giving him these chances early in the game to see if he can establish the foundation so possibly the play action can be kind of developed throughout. Obviously, there's some more key pieces to that. 
but he's almost giving the reins to Desmond Ritter in the first half. But you drafted Bijan Robinson to be a run first football team. Arthur Smith knows he needs a dynamic quarterback in the 2023 year of the National Football League, especially in the offensive league we have today. That's why he's trying to trust him early on. And Desmond Ritter is showing you straight up to your face. He cannot do it. Again, Tyler Ajayir, Bijan Robinson, comfortable being a run first team. You block like you're a comfortable run first team. Atlanta passed the ball 18 times and ran it eight times in the first half of this football game. They came up with three points. They got a field goal. Desmond Ritter wasn't good. He held the ball too long in some instances. He was inaccurate. He didn't flash the arm. And I went out on a limb for Desmond Ritter. I said Desmond Ritter has flashed Jacobs. The ceiling of Jalen Hurts, kind of a smaller boat for Cincinnati, could spin it, was mobile. I thought he saw the field well. I mean, you could argue Desmond Ritter was the best quarterback coming out of the class. We obviously saw Malik Willis and, you know, some of these other players that had come out, but was not good in this football game. Now, he was sacked seven times for 62 yards, and, and really everyone outside of Jake Matthews looked good in this game. Uh, or excuse me, everyone, excuse me, Jake Matthews, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I typed my notes a little wrong. Jake Matthews was the best offensive lineman in this game. Everyone else outside of him was kind of struggling. And you even saw Desmond Ritter looking downfield a lot after making some room with his feet just to throw it short at the line of scrimmage. He's thinking too much about it. It's a confidence thing. Does he think he actually has that arm to hit, arm to hit that downfield throw on a Drake London, on a Kyle Pitts, on those early draft picks that you took offensively? But where are your schemes to run that offense? first half, the Lions were sending extra bodies at Desmond Ritter on those obvious passing downs to make him nervous because he knows, the Lions know, shout out Dan Campbell, and their defense is actually improving, they knew the Falcons couldn't handle it. They knew that Desmond Ritter could not handle what was happening at that point in the football game. Then in the second half, they're like, okay, their offensive line's total track, drop. we're going to just rush four, still get pressure on their quarterback, and then your wide receivers aren't going to be able to get open. So shout out to the Detroit Lions for being able to outcoach Arthur Smith here, which, I mean, unfortunately is not that hard to do. Yes, Arthur Smith was a good guy coming over from Tennessee, but what's going on, bro? What's happening? You're going conservative and kicking a field goal while down 17 in the middle of the fourth quarter is not a way to win this football game. Tell me you don't trust your offense or your quarterback, or I guess you rely too much on your defense without telling me that. Oh, yeah, we're just going to kick it down 20 to three in the game. You know, it, they're very comfortable at being a run first football team and, and they really block best as a run first football team. I don't even want to get started on their pass rush or their passing, you know, um, uh, pass blocking, excuse me. But at other times, this team just absolutely feels lost. Once they latch onto those run first teams, the teams in the NFL that are going to get tape on the Falcons and they see that Desmond Ritter is right now an average to mediocre lackluster quarterback, it's going to fall fast. Y'all see what Derrick Henry's done so far this year? Nothing because it's a, it is a one-dimensional, mediocre quarterback, good defensive team. The, 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 the defensive team doesn't have to do with it, but there's some similarities. Quarterback, eh. Running back, great. Offensive line, eh. That's why you're not getting production. That's why Desmond Ritter's not able to move. How much longer does the issue of the Atlanta Falcons offensive line have to be brought up? I know it kind of rebounded last year and some and even the previous years, but here it's not looking good. Desmond Ritter was sacked for seven times for 62 yards this football game. This was the question for the Falcons fan base coming into the year. Can Desmond Ritter be the guy? Can Desmond Ritter do it? 
because they bring Taylor Heineke in because they know he's a veteran. He's played in a playoff game. Darren beat Tom Brady in the year of the Super Bowl win for Brady and the Bucks. Obviously, it didn't happen, but there's a reason they brought Heineke in. This was the question. You bring in Jesse Bates, you bring in Bud Dupree, you bring in Jeff Okuda, you bring in Caden Ellis, you bring in Calais Calais Campbell, you bring in David Onyemata. Jesse Bates, like I said, best safety in the league. You bring all this in defensively. You draft B. John Robinson. This team feels so set. But why are we not talking about the Falcons more? Why do my Saints not get talked about more? Because of who is taking snaps under center. The captain of the team is not someone that can get you very far. The Falcons defense is third to last in the NFL in sacks. They need an edge rusher without a doubt. That Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith pick feels real good now, don't it? No, we're, we're, we're going to take Bijan early on. Nah, we, we, we don't want an offensive lineman high up. Sure, yeah, you went and got O-line help last year. We don't want a, want a defensive lineman. We, we want to go get Kyle Pitts. Hmm. You're, you're still 2-1. and one. You're still atop the NFC South. How much longer do the same mistakes need to continue to show the Atlanta Falcons that they have to improve on their core, like their, their, their core values football team? I mean, Grady Jarrett, gets more pressure himself than the entire edge rushers as a unit do for the Atlanta Falcons. Caden Ellis and David Onyemata, yeah, they're doing their thing, but as a unit, they just don't have edge pressure yet. So again, does that j- j- not taking Jalen Carter feel better to you? Just passing on Nolan Smith or hell? Even a Tyree Dam will feel better to you? Bijan was a top five player in this draft, right? Don't get me wrong. You take, you know, BPA, best player available. I'm not really a BPA guy. Some people say you take BPA if you fill out your roster going down. When you're in the position that the Falcons are in, you 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 got to make a decision. Right? Like, hell, I still think about if they would have taken Justin Fields at number four. Maybe that's not a thought that Falcons fans have, but when you see the defense not performing to how they should, especially with a pass rush, the secondary pretty solid. Offensive line falling through, not able to help the pass game. Desmond Ritter, we knew he was questionable, but now he's really looking suspect. And Bijan's not getting used as well as he can. Run game kind of tailoring away in this bad loss. Kyle Pitts and Drake London, like what? They got 72 total yards combined out of them? Falcons got some decisions to make. Falcons have some big decisions to make and some uh, things to address as they go forward in this NFL season. Well, Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy were balling before they got blown out out by the Buffalo Bills 37 to 3 and I got to give respect to Eric Bieniemy for leaving Sam Howell in this game the whole game despite the blowout these are going to be the growing pains that they have together and honestly this was the test I was worried about with Washington only beating Arizona only beating Denver like what were they going to be against a smash mouth team like the Buffalo Bills who absolutely ransacked them 37 to 3 first drive Back-to-back sacks, Sam Howell was picked, and, and it really just kind of snowballed down from there, right? It got real frustrating for them in the second half. Washington drives down to the Bills' 15-yard line before getting a third interception. That snowballs into a punt, a fumble, a pick six, which was absolutely horrible, and another punt in the football game. This game with 16, uh, excuse me, this game was 16 uh, nothing going into the fourth quarter with about 10 and a half minutes to go until Josh Allen ran it in. So three Sam Howell interceptions yielded only 16 total offensive points for the Buffalo Bills. We kind of saw games like this back in the day with Buffalo where they were playing the Texans before C.J. Stroud. Some other games earlier in the year were like, they let these bad teams hang around for about 70 to 75% of the game. 
I don't mean to go out and call Washington a bad team, but when you beat Arizona and Denver and you get blown out by 34 to the best team you played, I get it, it's the Bills, and this is what the Bills do, right? But it's very tough to see the Commanders go down this way and to really see the Bills have these people hang around for good amounts of time before they finally get to pull away. You know, Josh Allen only scrambled three total times in this game, but he absolutely murdered them, it felt like, at those times that he scrambled. Only three total for the day. Again, the first one came on the Bills' opening drive of the uh, game. Commanders had a chance to get off the field early with Buffalo backed up at their own 25 on a third and 10, but Josh Allen gets through the converts with a 13-yard run. They led that to a field goal. The second one was even more crushing to the Washington team. Um, The Bills were backed up again. This time they were at their own 11, but he gets away from pressure from the defensive line, runs 23 yards upfield on a second and 12. The Bills go on to score another field goal. That's 13-0. And then the last one really put it on ice and out of reach for them. Second and goal at the Washington 10. Allen took the ball in himself for the touchdown that made it 23-0. But the commanders knew that that rush discipline was really going to be a priority in order to limit Allen and the Bills' offense because they don't want to let Josh Allen get outside that pocket. Like, you're going to have a spy on him. You know what Josh Allen is capable of. No doubt, as things go on, you know, with him as a player, as the Bills grow, as he grows. And that was one of his big, you know, pluses coming into the game. But despite some pressure from the defensive line at times, the commanders finished the game without a sack. Very, you know, very unlike them. And the reason I wanted to bring them up is, you know, like Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy really were balling through the first two weeks of the season. We see it's a top 10 offense, like Eric Bieniemy literally has that offense clicking. And again, it was against Arizona and it was against Denver and they got very old here against the Buffalo Bills but this is part of the growing pains like for Washington to have the talent they do offensively and defensively Eric Bieniemy is just patiently waiting in line to get that head coaching job from Ron Rivera these are the type of losses these are the type of growing pains that you're actually going to have to go through in order to get where you want to be in the NFL I don't know exactly what it's going to bring for the commanders like honestly let me let me pull up the rest of their schedule. I'll give you a little score prediction here realistically. So they're two and one right now after losing. Oh, come on now. The two and one right now after losing to the Bills. I think it's a loss. Eagles. Probably a win against the Bears. I think they could beat the Falcons. Mm, I think they could beat the Giants. I think it's another loss to the Eagles. I think they could beat the Patriots. Probably lose to the Seahawks. Probably lose to the Giants there. Um, probably split with the Cowboys the way that's going. I think they'd lose to the Rams, the Dolphins, the Niners, the Jets. So, like, not a whole lot of wins on here, right? This still is a football team that has some growing to do, and and ultimately is going to still have some things to get through with Eric Bieniemy and with all these teams, you know, that they're playing throughout the NFL season. But, again, leaving Sam Howell in with his four interceptions, like, they're going to have to have things really roll out that way if Eric Bieniemy is going to get the full grasp on this team because it can't be a situation to where it's like Brian Flores with Tua pulling him out of the game or Jalen Hurts getting pulled out of the game by Nick Sirianni because ultimately they don't want to have the trust in the quarterback to really lead them through the the, the entirety of the season, like to go through those difficult times. But y'all get in the chat, get in the comments, let me know what you think. As uh, Like I said, Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy were balling before they ran into the buzzsaw of the Buffalo Bills losing 37-3 to and suffering their first loss of the year.
Let's go ahead and jump into the week four power rankings for the NFL season. As you know, I bring them to you guys every Tuesday after every NFL game completes. We've got some adjustments here as after the Miami Dolphins absolutely murder the Denver Broncos 70 to 20 in week three of the season. I moved around some teams here and now we're going to have San Francisco still holding the top spot, but I got Miami jumping up to number two, doing that without Jalen Waddle, doing that to the Broncos. And I get it. The Broncos aren't necessarily a defense that we're going to think is really great, right? We heard me say that I want Tua to do more against these teams, but the Broncos didn't have a great defense. The Patriots did. Of course, the Chargers did not. So I could almost move Miami up to that one spot. I felt like if they had one more readable offensive game against a you know very reputable defense. But nonetheless, I think if San Francisco and Miami played, Miami could win. But I feel like San Fran is just really that more uh, more balanced team on the defensive side of the ball. So it you know really could fizzle Miami out there. Philadelphia at three. We see what Philadelphia is able to do. The Bucs, they're still 3-0 and on the year. They were still the NFC runner-ups. They're adjusting still without their two coordinators in the game. John Hurts throws a couple picks last night, so we're still trying to see him get into that MVP form that we saw last season. I'm going to put Kansas City down at number four. Of course, they beat the Bears, blowing out the worst team in the league. They're still going to stick. If Philly and Kansas City played, Philly would win in that rubber match, especially knowing how the Kansas City offense is not producing right now at a level that it should. Of course, it did against the Bears, but again, worst team in the league. Worst defense in the NFL. Going to have the Buffalo Bills jumping up to number five as they blow out the Commanders, like I just mentioned, 37-3. to Seems like they're back. They have two major blowout wins. I think it was 38-3 to to the Raiders, 37-3 to to the Commanders. Now, they do lose in week one, but obviously that was a lot of high you know, emotions. Aaron Rodgers going out. Josh Allen just thought he was going to be able to win it no matter what. Clearly, they came back and figured out that they couldn't. Um, oh God, I almost thought that was Dallas. I got Baltimore at six. I thought... Baltimore, even though they did lose this weekend to the Colts, I, I do believe the Colts are a decent team. They did have two wins the week before. They are banged up, so I could put them higher on this list. But overall, the Baltimore Ravens, I do think, are a good football team. And anyone that is below them, I do believe they would beat them if a matchup were to happen, possibly even today with the way that they showed some resilience. And especially as they get healthy, they can move higher on this list. Got the Detroit Lions at seven. Big win over the Atlanta Falcons, knocking the Falcons and the Commanders, as you see at the bottom, is different. Knock them out of my top 15 teams overall. The Lions are playing good football this year. Jared Goff is being protected in a great way. If that defensive talent that they have on paper is actually able to perform how we thought it was going to in the postseason and that or in the preseason and in the offseason, and that offense stays elite like it was last year, I think the Lions are nine and three in their last 12 games, eight and three in their last 11, something like that. I heard it earlier today, but it just didn't necessarily stick. I got Dallas at number eight. They're still a solid team. They're struggling offensively, though, but their defense, I think, with the top teams that are underneath them or with the teams that are underneath them in these top 15 power rankings, they would be able to beat them because of their defense. Now, again, their offense is struggling, but when you look at all these other teams that are below them, which the NFL is still shaking off some of the rust, right? But I do think Dallas will beat every team below them. A lot of these teams underneath them are struggling offensively or just not clicking over completely at the football team yet. They still have some things to do to get healthy. So I will leave Dallas at number eight, even though they do lose to the Cardinals. Jacksonville at number nine. They lose toughly to the Texans, but we had some tough losses this week, like Baltimore lost, you know, um, hell, let's see, New Orleans lost. Uh, there was a couple of other teams that I had kind of had outside the top 15. So we had some losses this week. Some were bad, some were okay. But again, just because you lose in my power rankings or win doesn't mean you necessarily jump up or down unless it's 
a major win or loss, obviously like my up to number two, um, or the Washington Commanders just getting blown out and falling out. Now the Jacksonville Jaguars do have problems offensively, and I feel like they might be kind of high here at number nine because they also had problems defensively against the Texans, letting C.J. Stroud get comfortable. Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson have to work on some things in order to get back to where they need to be, especially considering how they were in the preseason. Seattle Seahawks at number 10, solid football team. Zach Charbonnet absolutely embarrassed the Panthers defender yesterday with running over him. We're still seeing some of that JSN, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett kind of still gel together, be able to come together and be that, that top offense that, again, we talked about in the preseason for Seattle. Got to have them at number 10. The Chargers at number 11. And again, these these rankings are kind of weird. I've seen some teams, you know, have teams in the top 10, top 7, top 15 that really shouldn't be there. I try not to go off of other people's power rankings because everyone kind of ranks them differently. But I've got the Chargers here at number 11. They've got to work on things defensively, but they do beat the Minnesota Vikings. I wanted to put the Vikings in the power rankings, but they are 0-3. Minnesota um, is now 0-3 in one-score games. Chargers win 28-24. Keenan Allen has a day. Unfortunately, they lose Mike Williams. Justin Herbert has a day as well, going 40-47. of Going to put Pittsburgh in at number 12 here. They do what they need the weekend. Obviously, Pittsburgh. Who did Pittsburgh play over the weekend? I'm like, I'm drawing a blank here. Who did Pittsburgh play recently? Okay. They do what they needed to do over the weekend against the Raiders. They could have won better, of course, and that's why they're going to be lower in these rankings. The defense is absolutely great, but Matt Canada, yet again, what is this offense doing on a productive output? We have to see them be better week in and week out to hang in a loaded division and a loaded conference. The Cleveland Browns at 13, Deshaun Watson with the bounce back game. The Browns absolutely shutting down the Titans offense, which, again, isn't necessarily hard to do. Um, You've got the Titans overall not being a great offense, a good defensive front seven. So to see Deshaun Watson get into that nice groove, hopefully this is going to be the trajectory he's on to get Cleveland even higher on this list. Cincinnati coming back into the rankings at 14, not having a healthy Joe Burrow, grinding it out over the Rams. The Rams could have easily won this football game. Like I said, they're very tough one and two team, but I think Cincinnati's got a bright future ahead of them. Jamar Chase breaks out. Joe Mixon was very big. Lou Anarumo defensive masterclass. And then my New Orleans Saints at number 15, because we still have a lot of potential, we could have easily dropped out of here, but the defense is still going to be elite. We could see Derek Carr play this weekend. I do feel like the offense was finally starting to gel together here before Derek Carr does go out. So the NFL Week 4 power rankings going in. San Francisco 1, Miami 2, Philly 3, Kansas City 4, Baltimore 5, excuse me, Buffalo 5, Baltimore 6, Detroit 7, Dallas 8, Jacksonville 9, Seattle at 10, the Chargers at 11, Pittsburgh at 12, Cleveland at 13, Cincinnati at 14, and the New Orleans Saints at number 15. Y'all get in the chat, get in the comments, let me know what you think of the NFL Week 4 Power Rankings. That was a packed episode 43. We're going to go ahead and get out of here. That was episode 43 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate everybody tapping into the show tonight. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you were tapping with me live on the podcast. As always, before we get out of here, y'all, please make sure to like the stream wherever you're watching. Subscribe on YouTube. Share the stream with a friend, with a family member, someone that enjoys the NFL, just podcasts, or just good shows in general. At the NFL with AGL on AGL on all social media platforms. QR code there, as always, on the screen is your one-stop shop for every bit 
of the NFL with AJL content. You already know the podcast will be out early tomorrow and episode 44 will be on Friday. We hit the topics in today's show. As always, I love you. I need you. And I'll see you in episode 44.